Hey everyone, welcome to the Landlord Association podcast. I'm your host, George Gao. This is a podcast by the landlords and for the landlords in the greater Houston area. We'll discuss tips, strategies, techniques to help our listeners to be more educated and ultimately become more successful rental property owners and investors. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 26. This was one of the last episodes we recorded before COVID. Early in February March, I had the pleasure of speaking with Sam E. from CBRE. Sam was a panelist at a networking event on recent trends in Houston's multifamily sector. Sam has extensive experience in servicing, underwriting, and financing of commercial real estate properties. Currently, he's the Vice President of Debt and Structured Finance Team at CBRE, focused on small balance apartment lending in Houston and across the U.S. During his time at the firm, CBRE funded over $2 billion in small multifamily loans and in 2017 became the nation's top SBL lender. In this episode, Sam shared his experience in the lending world, why you should get a lender involved as early as possible, and how to avoid some of the common pitfalls in the financing process. Please stay tuned in the end where Sam will share some of his favorite hobbies and interesting travel destinations. If you want to reach out to Sam to get the latest market conditions, uh, some of the COVID impact, and talk about your projects and goals, you can reach him at samuel.e, that's Y-E-E, at cbre.com. Please enjoy my conversation with Sam. Today we have Sam E on the podcast. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, George. <laughs> so, um, before we just when we first sat down, you started talking about your background and how you uh, got here and how long you've been to CBRE. Can you just tell a listener about where you came from and how you got into real estate? Sure, sure. So, uh, I started in real estate back in 2007, um, kind of a little right before the, the big crash occurred. Um, and I started in servicing at that time. So, it was actually a really interesting time to come into the, into the business and the industry. Um, I was working in... Uh, payoffs and collateral reviews um, for them so at that time there's a lot of maturing loans coming up and part of the issue was there was a debt out there to refinance these so you know it was a quick introduction into the real estate world as I was you know kind of entering it at the bottom Um, but you know I think at the same time being at CBRE for the past 13 years now you know I've been able to see the bottom of a cycle and seeing it kind of go up to kind of the top of the cycle and kind of seeing the whole thing. So it's been, you know, an interesting kind of experience for myself um, working at, at CBRE in a lot of different facets. So, you know, I started servicing, uh, then worked in production for a while, um, and then I actually uh, began working on uh, the credit underwriting side at CBRE where we built a um, multifamily small balance loan program mm-hmm. um, for Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. Um, so I was one of the... Uh, original uh, members of that group helping to build our platform there. And then more recently, I've moved back into production um, for the last two years. Um, so I've been trying to help clients find debt solutions for you know their transactions, you know whether it's purchases or refinances, that kind of thing. Okay, so uh, that's something I didn't know uh, before we I, before we even met. I, I thought CBRE was just doing you know mostly on on the broker side, mm-hmm. uh, buying sell home buying, selling, and leasing properties, right. but you guys also have a financing arm. Right, right? absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, CBRE, you know, we're, we're the largest commercial real estate company in the world, and there's several different arms, and one of them is um, our Freddie and Fannie um, book. So we are a licensed seller servicer for Freddie Mac and a uh, licensed dust lender for mm-hmm. Fannie Mae, which this means that CBRE can help originate those loans. Um, so, you know, if you were working with a 
another group like a brokerage shop, they would need to work with an approved seller servicer or a dust lender to be able to provide that financing. So essentially you can cut out the middleman if you come directly to us. <laughs> yeah, no, I think a lot of people, um, uh, you know, for at least the information I get, you know, you got to go through a mortgage broker, broker that mm -hmm. he, he knows how to contact, he, he'll go out and source the deals, you know, some financing from, you know, local banks or dust lenders or CMBS loans. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like somebody can reach out to CBRE directly or, or, or dust lenders, um, you know, they, you, guys, you guys can also do CMBS yep. loans. Yep, yep. Yeah, we, we like to think of ourselves as a one-stop shop. Mm -hmm. um, so whatever needs that you need, whether it's, you know, construction, bridge, you know, permanent financing, uh, all types of product types, hotels, retail, um, office, multifamily. You know, multifamily is kind of the hot, you know, product yeah. type in the, the last few years. So, you know, we've been doing a lot of that, um, but we definitely touch all types of product types here. So um, we, we really try to be that kind of one-stop shop for all of your, you know, credit and, and financing needs. So. Right. Uh, but I guess the multifamily reason is gotten so much traction is because they had do have the Fannie and Freddie options where yeah. construction and retail probably don't have the government backed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think one of the good things about uh, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae that is um, it's nationwide and it's mm -hmm. non-recourse. Um, you know, I think a lot of uh, people, you know, in the um, real estate investment, uh, they're very um, kind of familiar with recourse debt from banks, credit unions, um, where you have to sign a personal guarantee on these loans. Whereas, you know, non-recourse loans, it's very attractive to owners and investors because there's no personal guarantees associated with it. Um, it's the property itself that's going to be the collateral. Um, so as long as the property can stand up, you know, and, and support the debt, um, there's no actual personal guarantees that, you know, any individual needs to sign on, on these. So um, they have competitive rates and, you know, very good terms. So it's honestly helped boost the, you know, market and the multifamily transaction, uh, you know, volume throughout the country. So, wow. yeah. Um, I guess just last, I mean, last four or five years, the multifamily market really blown up and you see a lot of capital influx right. to like or, I mean, the whole nation. I mean, really starting the coast, but just coming, shifting back in. Right. Um, do you see that in now that it's got so competitive multifamily that people are looking into other sectors or other asset classes? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that that's kind of a little bit of the challenge is, you know, back Four or five years ago, multifamily was seen as such a you know great product to go after because you know I think partially people understood the way that multifamily right. works. Yeah. Um, also, the fact that cap rates at that time were much higher than they are now. Um, whereas you know I think your rate of return nowadays you know for a multifamily property versus maybe even like a single tenant retail property is not that different anymore. So you know the question for someone who's trying to figure out where to place their money now is. Can I find a multifamily deal that you know has an attractive enough cap rate? And, and if I can't, and you know I'm looking at five and six caps, what's the difference between investing in that and you know something that's a retail tenant where you don't need to have as much hands-on you know work, etc. You know you have your day job and you can kind of just let that asset do yeah. its, its job and a lot of those are triple net type you know yeah. um, uh, tenants so they you know pay for all of the different expenses so your overall work that you need to put into that is a lot less so I do think that if people aren't able to find good multifamily assets in 
major markets, they are typically going to secondary and tertiary markets mm-hmm. in Texas. We're yeah. seeing that a lot. Um, here, you know, people have been buying like Lufkin and, and yeah. Lubbock and down yeah. in the valley, that type of thing. Um, or they've been looking at other, you know, potential uh, real estate investments here that, you know, could potentially produce, you know, similar um, returns, but not as much, you know, <laughs> sweat equity, I guess. Yeah, right? so, no, it's definitely not, it's not uh, easy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, might, you might easy to get into, but... <laughs> Um, depends on what kind of property you get into. It's right. Some, it's some, they all have their own challenges. Right, exactly. Um, so, and one of the things I, when, uh, when I first listened to you talk at the area uh, event last week was uh, you talking about the uh, kind of occupancy rate recently, yeah. right? Kind of, it's kind of fluxing from 80, mm-hmm. high 80s and gone, gone to 90s and now we're back to the 80s. Mm-hmm. And can you just talk a little bit about, you know, what are the recent trends? Sure, sure. So, you know, I think Houston, uh, as a market, you know, for a while, it's, it was seen very positively just for the variety of jobs, um, job growth, that kind of thing. So uh, apartments during the you know last four or five years, uh, they've been steadily increasing in occupancy. If you just look at the overall trend, occupancy has been improving. Um, but, you know, the last few years, there's been a uh, glut of you know new properties yeah. that are being added to the pipeline. Um, so you know this has kind of created a a little bit of a you know uh, supply and demand issue here in Houston, just because it seems like job growth here in Houston is starting to slow down, and um, you know with the influx of units still. For the most part, you know, as of last year, there was still very good absorption in kind of the new assets. So the question now for lenders, investors is, you know, is Houston still going to be able to absorb all these new units? Um, you know, last time I, I looked, I think in 2020, there's going to be somewhere around 17,000 to 20,000 new units added to the market. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a lot. And, you know, in the past few years, Houston's probably averaged somewhere around Thirteen to fourteen thousand units, you know, absorbed um, in that same sector. So, uh, people are definitely seeing that there might be a heavy inflow. So, this could affect concessions that are, you know, yep. made available, etc. Um, so, we'll see how you know the overall Houston market re- reacts. But there's still very a lot of very positive things about the market here in Houston. You know, I think people are concerned about the job growth. Uh, aspect, especially with oil, um, but you know, there's a lot of other industries here in Houston with um, aerospace and NASA. Um, you know, Coke and they built a new uh, campus here on the north side. Um, Houston, just you know, in general, I think is a very attractive location for employers to move companies to, etc. So you know, I think that there's still a lot of very positive things, but there's just uncertainty right now in the yeah. market. <laughs> so as an investor, you know, we just need to be more careful about assumptions and built in, right? Correct. When you go into a deal, you need to look at maybe the rent growth is not going to be as as high as you expect. Correct. Maybe you sh- if you model four, maybe you should keep it at three or two, or you know, you know, don't model at ninety five percent occupancy. Uh, depends on what neighborhood you're in. Right. Uh, just be careful and just kind of sensitize your model <laughs> a little bit. Right. No, absolutely. I, I think that that's. Probably one of the biggest areas of uh, mistakes I've seen with you know owners, investors when they were they're modeling their their numbers. Um, you know, I think looking at historical expenses and income is is good and a good barometer of you know future performance. But 
right now in this market, you know, in Texas especially, taxes generally after purchases, they're going to be pretty heavily affected. Um, uh, appraisers in Houston, especially Harris County, they're very good about reassessing deals um, after sales close to 80 or 90 percent of the purchase price. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have a property that's been held for quite some time and their historical taxes are low, um, it's important for you to kind of take that into account. So um, once you actually get into the loan uh, or you know the, the property, your your cash flow isn't just killed because of this tax expense. You know another area that we've seen is insurance has been going up across the board, just with all the natural disasters mm -hmm. um, across the country, um, all that stuff. So we've seen insurance on average go up. Um, you know here in, in Texas and you know. Uh, along the, the east and west coast, honestly. Mm -hmm. So um, that's something to keep in mind. And, you know, I think very importantly, uh, a lot of times whenever investors, owners, they go into a deal, they're looking very closely at the ent entrance mm -hmm. of that transaction yeah. and not as much as the exit from that, you know, transaction. What is your game plan here with this? Are you looking to buy and hold this? Are you looking to create some sort of value? Yeah. You know, if that's your plan, are you going to need to pull out equity at some point or et cetera? You know, so yeah, yeah. there's a whole bunch of factors that kind of go into, you know, what this is. But, you know, I think a lot of times people are so focused on, you know, that initial price and, you know, that initial interest rate that they're getting, mm -hmm. but they're not really thinking about what is my game plan five years from now, 10 years from now from, from this property? So that's always something very important, I think. I, I yeah. try to discuss with Depends what type of product you want. Exactly. So, yeah, it's not just a rate. Um, so there, there's so many topics I want to cover, cover on that, what you just said. So let's let's start with taxes. Um, is there anything, I mean, do the do the appraiser, tax appraiser just, just call the broker and say, I mean, we're non, Texas yeah, non-disclosure non state. state, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it was, historically, they, it was, you know, they maybe they, they bought for like, you know, $10 million property, now it's trading for $20 million. Do, do they just call the broker and say, hey, what, what, what did you guys sell it for? No, no. <laughs> so, you know, I think a lot of times how they end up arriving at these numbers is um, they know that a change in ownership has occurred. Yep. So that sparks them into looking at, all right, what have other, you know, properties in the area, you yep. know, what is this value? So that's really what kind of sparks them. They do um, comps. Yeah, yeah. Okay. they look at, they mainly are looking at yep. comps. So okay. um, ultimately, whenever they come up with their final tax figure, it needs to be supportable by other comps in the area. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, you can, as an owner, go back and challenge that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah. I think their job, honestly, is to set taxes as high as they can yeah. you know, with what they can right. get away with because that this is how they support, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the county and, and, you know, property taxes is, is how they, they, they do things. So. Um, you are automatically at a disadvantage if you aren't focused on your tax expense number because that is your largest expense by far yeah. of anything that you're going to be paying on your property. So yeah. if you are way off on your final tax number from yeah. what you've you know, pro forma, yeah. it, that's how we see deals go sideways. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Um, I mean, I guess they must put in a lot of work in there either. So it's, what, what, how successful to it? To challenge the protest the tax rate, <laughs> I can't. I mean, yeah, it, it it definitely is challenging. So you know, I think a lot of our uh, more seasoned investors, owners, yeah. uh, they a lot of times have tax consultants on yeah. their you know 
<laughs> payroll that they are, are regularly using to help fight you know this type of thing especially if you're coming in as you know a developer etc a lot of times they can uh, the county can come in and reassess your property you know astronomically and that kind of an increase in your expenses is just it, it's a lot for most owners to be able to, to swallow so you know I, I see that a lot of people looking and, and you know requesting that that additional help to to help them fight you know these yeah, types yeah. of uh, assessments so yeah i mean that's definitely <laughs> something that you know um but at least going on, going in just make sure you have a somebody who's done it before and yeah. give you a more accurate number yeah right right so you know i think a big part of it is you know when you go in uh people who are selling properties uh, brokers, they're always going to show the deal from its best light, you know. So, if you see an offering memorandum or a flyer that shows, you know, a twelve percent cap on in place, you know, NOI, right. there is, you know, not everything is, you know, yeah. as, as sweet as it, it might look, you know, initially. So, those are the kinds of things that I think people need to be aware of, and I think a lot of investors might not be as aware of, you know, because. The difference between multis and you know residentials, they definitely hit the commercial properties a little bit harder with, with yeah. these reassessments than they do on the residential side. So, um, again, something to just you know be be wary of and, and build in enough, enough of that uh, in your pro forma numbers to be able to counter any kind of increase that might might possibly occur. So. Right. And uh, okay, so now let's get into a little bit of exit strategy. So, you know, from, I get, you know, incoming emails about, from sponsors who say, here's a deal you might want to think about investing in, here's my numbers. Um, and typically they say they're going to do a, like a five to seven year hold. Um, they're going to do some value add, they're going to you know, put some capex into the property and bump right. up the rent. And, um, and then usually, nowadays at least in the new ones I've seen, uh, they usually say, oh, we're going to do, get financing at 70%, we're going to do three years of IO. Uh, and I, don't, I can't tell, for, as, a, as a past investor, I don't know if that's good or bad for a sponsor to come in and tell me, oh, they're going to do a bridge loan with like, you know, three years I.O. Mm -hmm. Can you just explain you know, what's I.O. and you know, what's the difference in bridge loan? And the, and the sure, sure. So typically, whenever someone needs a bridge loan, it's because something with the property is not completely ready for permanent financing. Depending on what the bars you know, or the owners, you know, investors' plan is with that property, they might be buying a property that's seventy percent occupied, mm -hmm. and you can't get permanent financing on that right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when it's at seventy percent occupancy, so you know you might need a year or two years to go in there, redo some units, push those rents up, and then once you've hit you know your eighty-five, ninety percent occupancy where the deal is stabilized, you can go out and get a permanent uh, financing deal. Um, you know, something 10-year fixed, you know, 30-year amortization, 25-year amortization, something like that. Whereas a bridge deal is typically one to two years. It's typically interest only, and there's usually minimal prepayment fees, but there's a large, uh, or not large, but there is essentially what they call a loan fee or, you know, inter-exit fee. So they'll charge usually a point in and a point out um, because they're essentially helping you bridge your transaction from... You know where it's where it is currently to permanent financing. Yeah. So, the typical rates and terms are going to be a little bit you know more expensive yeah. um, than you know your your typical you know permanent debt. But 
again, that shouldn't scare any investor away because the rate has a higher handle. You're only going to be holding this loan for a year potentially. Mm -hmm. And typically with these bridge loans, they can lend 75%, maybe even 80% of the stabilized value. So they will, you know, potentially put aside money if you're looking to put money into the deal and, you know, you have a reserve and you can go draw on that um, to, you know, finish your, your improvements, et cetera. Um, so there's a lot of different structuring that they can do to help you complete your deal. Um, so that's why, you know, bridge financing is typically attractive. Um, it's whenever you need that additional time to help uh, your transaction get into that permanent financing ready mode. Gotcha. Um, so if a property is a class B and it's 90, 95%, it, sh- it shouldn't be, I mean, they, sh- they shouldn't have to go to right. bridge financing. Right, you, yeah. you shouldn't have to. Um, again, if your plan is to go in there and immediately take down 50% of the units mm-hmm. um, because you feel like the, the rents currently are way below market um, and you have a bunch of bad tenants in there and you feel like you know market rents are $200 higher, right. that could be something that you might want to do a bridge loan on. Otherwise, you know, we've seen a lot of people you know, buy that type of B and C property. It's you know, 90, 95% occupied. And then over the next two to three years, as units turn, mm-hmm. they'll you know, move tenants out, redo it, and then kind of go from there. Um, your overall return is going to be a little bit more of a slow burn, but yeah. you'll be able to most likely secure some permanent financing on a deal like that. Yeah. So your rate's going to be you know lower, and your you know everything's be a little bit more attractive. But you know your your cash flow and your return you know in the future might not be you know as quick as you might you know be able to, to do it if you were able to just do all the work you know at once. So right, right. again, you know my biggest thing whenever I talk to clients is. What is your game plan for yeah. for this property? That's right. You know, do you are you going to hold? Are you you know are you going to put money into it? You know, are you looking to, to invest in other things in the next you know five to ten years? You know, do you need access to this capital in the future? So you know, all those things you know they need to keep in mind because a lot of these commercial loans they also have prepayment penalties, right? Mm-hmm. So that can a lot of times be prohibitive in you know what you do in the future right. in terms of exiting this you know loan, et cetera, refinancing. right? Refinancing, yeah. selling, yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, so you know, again, it's just something to kind of keep in mind whenever you're you're entering into <laughs> yeah. buying a new property or even you know refinancing your property. So right, um, and um, yeah, and just in case something goes sideways, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you the rent didn't hit your projection, or maybe the the the, the, the capex spend it took the occupancy down low where you didn't foresee. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess bridge only is kind of it's good that it, it provides the finance for you, but at the same time you just got to be aware, you know, right the risk the downside right. of that. Right, right, and again, like you need to have some sort of an exit plan, yeah. you know, as well. So like typically your bridge loans are one to two years, so. Are you going to be able to get all the work that you want done within those one to two years? Yeah. You know, if it's the occupancy issue, are you going to be able to get occupancy up in that yeah. amount of time? And, and again, you know, sometimes people who do bridge loans, like it might not take them, you know, the full term of the loan, and they can pre, you know, prepay yeah. out of it, you know, at, at any time. A lot of times, so um, it just kind of depends on if that type of financing is right for for you and your situation. Gotcha. You know? And and if they, somebody's projected like a million dollars capex, um, do you typically reserve that all up front um, when the at, at closing says if you say you're gonna make the improvement over the next twelve months for a million dollars, uh, and it's gonna be a you know 
Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So you know, typically with these types of things, we're going to want, or any, a lender is going to want to see kind of what the capex plan is, yeah. um, and kind of you know overall where they see things, uh, you know how quickly they're going to be turning units or you know putting this money into it. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, at closing, they're going to provide you X capital for you know the purchase or you know initial part of the deal, and then they'll put the remaining funds. Um, into a reserve kind of draw uh, situation where as you are completing work or needing money, you go to the lender and say, hey, I need $50,000 to put on a new roof on this building or you know whatever the situation is. So kind of show them receipts and then once you do that, then you start borrowing on that money, um, et cetera. So that, that's kind of how, how that, that works. So they essentially hold the money for you until you're ready to kind of move on yeah. and, and start, you know, doing the, the work and applying the, the funds to, right. the, to the property. I mean, on a smaller scale, it's almost like a fix and flip, right? Yeah. Maybe a hard money lender will lend you the construction costs and yeah. rehab costs, but they're not going to just give it to you. Right. You need to have some capital and make the make this, and then they'll do the inspections. Kind of similar to construction loans right. too, right? If you do a draw, you have to right. do the it's, work. It's all the very capital. similar. <laughs> <laughs> for the capital, and nobody's going to give you 100% right. of the cash up front, and then... You do the work, put some money up front, yeah. and then you can. Right, right. So just as a when you're raising money, you just gotta make sure you know all that's kind of spelled out, and right. people understand um, what the the money uses for, and you know you have the efficient, uh, you know, it's just for yourself. You, you sometimes you hate to do a capital call. You don't mm-hmm. want to go back to investors and go back and need <laughs> more capital six months a year, right? Right. So you want to have that cushion. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you know, again, like it's, it really depends on how you as a owner investor want to raise this this type of money. You know, if if you want to have this work done and you know your property's already stabilized, but you have the ability to raise that equity. You know, from your investors, maybe that is a situation where you can do the work kind of as the property is turning, etc. Um, but yeah, it, it really varies. You know, from from deal to deal, um, especially you know, it really kind of depends on what our clients need. Because sometimes a client, you know, they just they need you know money up front, etc. And that's always something that we can explore and talk to our different lenders about. But you know, I think in general, kind of the guidelines I gave you about the bridge debt, you know, that I think that that applies to most most groups here in the in the market. Right. Okay. Um, what, what's the high, highest number years of I.O. you've seen? So we've we've done full term I.O. before okay. on on ten year ten year fixed type deals. Um, that's usually not a problem. We're actually, I'm actually seeing more of that type of transactions now mm-hmm. here in Houston. Um, there is a lot of equity here in the market still, so yeah. people have capital that they're trying to put out in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the issue is you know a lot of deals nowadays uh, the cash flow isn't enough to support you know 75 to 80 percent leverage Um, but you know if you are borrowing at 60 or 65 percent leverage that's when lenders are able to provide more interest only so you know with the interest only the property's cash flow improves um, so then you can essentially provide your investors kind of hey you know you're getting your returns yeah. here, you know, blah, 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 that kind of thing. So we're seeing more and more uh, owners, investors going towards that model where they're going for lower lower leverage debt um, just to help kind of provide, you know, <laughs> yeah. higher initial <laughs> cash flow type type thing. So. Yeah, no, it's uh, definitely, um, 
it's a little less risky for for the for the lender too. Right. Yeah. Right. So they're more comfortable with with right. the, the financing. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> okay. Um, and what are other uh, ways people can save on the rate? It, I heard you know, people talk about the green program. Mm -hmm. Is that something still being offered? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Absolutely. So. Um, both Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, uh, they have kind of these green incentives. Um, you know, I think investors and owners out there, they're looking for any way that they can save, you know, some money, whether it's um, opportunity zones out there or properties that are um, affordable housing so that they can, you know, negotiate with, uh, you know, the county or, you know, the housing district for reduced taxes, that kind of thing. Um, also, you know, we see uh, owners and, and property, property owners be more open to Section 8 vouchers mm -hmm. um, just because um, in that space, you know, they're buying properties typically that, you know, uh, help uh, you know, low income. yeah, low, lower income yeah. type type yeah. tenants, um, but that's also kind of where investors and owners see a potential value add opportunity to just because you know if you can make the C property into you know maybe a, a B property, you know that's kind of where you can 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 make some money. So you know they they will initially you know enter into potentially a uh, HAP contract. Uh, where it's like a project-based Section 8 um, mm -hmm. where the housing district pays the owner directly right. the rents for the property. So it essentially eliminates some of that risk that you have with tenants because you know you're going to get payments from the, you know, um, from the housing district. But the only, you know, restriction is you have to keep rents at a certain, you know, uh, level for you know income level for that's you know reasonable for this type of tenant so there's you know pros and cons but you know i see a lot of investors exploring a multitude of different you know opportunities just because your straightforward cookie cutter value add deal is hardly yeah. you know ever found anymore and, and if you do find it there's 20 people trying to buy it right. you know all at the same time so uh, it makes deals a little bit tougher so you're seeing people get a little bit more creative with you know what they're trying to find and how they're trying to reduce you know expenses and oh. et cetera so that's that's, <laughs> that's interesting i mean i i mean as, as a as a sponsor as an investor i mean that's that's kind of your goal right you, not just uh not every deal is going to be straightforward to be able to add value, and you got to see kind of the behind the first layer, and right. kind of dig into it and see, based on your knowledge or your experience, right. um, you know what's what you can do to to, to improve the property that pe other people don't see. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's uh, that's another you know thing you know people need to uh, just be aware and adding people to your team, adding people who are knowledgeable in certain areas. Um, is that what you typically see in the in the in the people that come to you with already have a good network of? Um, yes, you know, so it's, it's it's honestly it's a mix of, of investors. Some people they are coming to me with you know very minimal information, and you know they're just kind of interested in in investing in real estate, and you know they don't know how competitive the market is, or you know where they should be looking. Um, whereas there's other people who have. A plethora of ideas of you know how they want to you know invest in this market um, you know and and I think there's pros and cons to both um, there's the internet is an amazing thing where you can get a lot of information nowadays yeah. you know you can educate yourself on you know lending platforms you know what kind of uh, incentives there are and for real estate owners all the all kinds of stuff so you know I I 
encourage people to go out there and educate themselves as much as they can. Um, but I also think that a lot of times there's too much information and it's important for you to talk to knowledgeable people in the market like myself who are constantly seeing transactions, talking to owners, have a good feel on, on the market and, and you know what opportunities there are to kind of help you sift through the information to figure out you know what's worthwhile and what's not. Um, just because you know I, I think that nowadays there's just so much information out there it can really you know inundate and overwhelm you know people who are trying to learn and get into this, uh, in this industry and right. market. Yeah. yeah and somebody can talk to you talk to a, a you know, network brokers, right. and they can you guys can introduce them to the other people they might need. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So you know, one groups. of the things I mentioned to you is CPR. Yeah. We have a bunch of different arms. So yeah. you know, not only do we work on financing, we have people here who work on uh, invest in sales. So they're essentially um, you know sales brokers. So they sell office multis, you know, retail, industrial, you know, self storage, whatever it is. We have a gamut of, of those. We have an appraisal group, um, we have a uh, engineering property condition group, um, so the, you know that's part of why I actually love working here is um, I have all these resources kind of at my hands to yeah. kind of talk to, to people, you know, get a good sense on, you know, the market. If you have a deal that, you know, maybe you're, you know, wondering what the potential value of it is. I can pick up the phone and talk to my appraiser here in the office, right. get a good sense of you know what cap rates are. You know this is where this property's income is at. Yeah. You know what do you think a reasonable cap rate for this yeah. would be? So, just that uh, ability to provide quick feedback is mm -hmm. you know something that I think is important for you know any kind of owner investor to have you know access to because there's just again so much information out there you don't know what's true and what's not um, and yeah. that's kind of what I, I'm here yeah. to, to help you you figure out is you know I have all this information and resources uh, at hand you know use me as a resource for your you know decisions and you know this is the whole idea of buying real estate I think it's a very relationship-based thing where you know you might not hit it out of the park the first time or even you know get a deal the first time but the relationship that I build with clients is to help them feel secure whenever they're going in and putting in that offer on that deal yeah. or you know looking to pull out cash knowing that you know what's to come that they're not going into this blind so you know I'm just here to help provide as much information as I can for you to make a good decision because you know, ultimately I want you to feel comfortable about the decision the, the decisions that you make here yeah. you know, at the end of the day so yeah. yeah I mean that's the struggle I came in uh, to the market too, and that's why the reason people start off in single family too, because single family, as you can go to Zillow or something, <laughs> yeah, you, can, right. you can just pull comps right. for yourself and or call some people that you know, look at what neighborhood is selling. Homework. But for, for commercial property, not only is you know the models and the underwriting so complicated, you know more things you got to think about. But you know you just don't you just don't know if you're not a broker, you're not involved day right. to day in the area in the neighborhood. You just don't know what's being sold, what's available, you know whether. Value is running at it's you know unless you're you know in it you have you know properties going on all the time right you just need somebody to be there and you know right it's just you know, at least a sounding board, yeah right? exactly I think yeah. that that's the biggest thing is like maybe you know kind of what's going on in the market but it's always yeah. good to hear from someone else to right. you know kind of reassure it's like yes that you're you're correct in your assumptions or you know no you're a little off here da, 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 da. so you know that's really what you know my job is here uh, at Sugary is kind of you know. A tool at, at your at your disposal to help you make the best decisions. Right. Yeah. And and we focus a lot today on, on multifamily, but 
you know, anything, you know, self-storage, right. industrial, I mean. Right. Like, we, we do it all. Like, like I said, you know, we like to call ourselves a one-stop shop here at CBRE. So, right. you know, whatever your needs are, you know, it doesn't even matter. We have tenant rep people. We touch all aspects of, of you know, real estate, commercial real estate here at our company. So, you know, even if it's not something that I can, you know, help you with personally, yeah. I can put you in touch with someone who is in that market or in that, you know, uh, uh, industry every day uh, of their of their lives, so they can give you some good feedback. So, yeah, you know, we're all a team here, so we're we're absolutely here at, at your disposal. So. Right. Good. <laughs> and and we and I you know be remiss. You know, CBR is not only gaming town. There's other brokers. That you can. Just as an investor, you just need to do the due diligence and you know, not only run the numbers but call somebody. Right. You know, whether it's uh, your network or you join a you know a network of people like the lifestyle we mentioned. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's there's a lot of people in, here in real estate. You know, just go on there and right. And, uh, <laughs> just don't don't try to do it by all by right, yourself. Right, right. I think it's definitely there's a good information out there, yeah. and you know whether it's like you know this podcast or other yeah. podcasts or informations yeah. out yeah. there. Uh, you know whatever a owner or investor is looking for, you can try to find some sort of information on it to make you a little bit knowledgeable before you know you 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 make your your first steps. So okay, good. It's all very helpful information. Um, and just to uh, give our listeners a sense of uh, how big is your team that, you know, you, you guys, you, you guys, I don't know how many deals you, your team does and, you know, just on the financing side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, our team here in Houston, uh, we have 13, so I'm 14. So we have 14 producers that kind of uh, work on the same kind of things that I do in helping provide clients find debt options. Um, and we have people who are focused on, you know, one type of property type, and then we have people who are, you know, kind of work on all types of property types. So, you know, depending on, you know, the size of the deal, there's kind of the right person that, you know, your, your deal should go to. Um, you know, overall, I think CBRE as a whole, um, we were one of the largest mortgage bankers in, in the country last year. Um, we did the most volume um, in terms of loans here in Houston, uh, uh, not exactly dollar amount, but just transactions. Mm -hmm. We completed the most here in Houston out of all of our CBRE offices. So uh, we're a very transaction-oriented kind of group here. Um, you know, we do deals in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Um, and, and you know, overall, um, we have support staff as well, and, and we also have a servicing and closing group um, on the west side of town that helps kind of the back okay. office. So you know, like I mentioned with the Freddie Fannie product, um, you know, we do a lot of our uh, underwriting in-house. Um, our uh, credit review is also in-house, so you know, I can always pick up the phone and call them. Um, but you know, essentially, everyone is under the CBRE kind of. <laughs> an umbrella so yeah. it's hard to say how many people exactly are yeah, on our yeah, team yeah. because yeah. there's so many different aspects of our company that end up working on on a, on a specific deal so yeah so how many deals do you come across your desk I mean people for 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 investors people sift through they say we sift through 100 deals to find one mm -hmm. um, I mean, are they just constantly sending you stuff that kind of half-baked? <laughs> uh, so sometimes it, it, it depends on the client. So, um, you know, a lot of times if a owner, you know, sees something that they, that they like, um, all that they really need is to get some sort of quick soft quote, you know, feedback mm -hmm. for 
what are your current rates at for this type of property, you know, amortization, you know, term, that kind of thing. I can always provide that pretty quickly. Um, if they were to want to move to, you know, something more you know, firm in terms of like a term sheet, you know, there would be more steps involved with, you know, getting that information. Um, so, you know, that, you know I, I think that that's uh, kind of um, what's involved with, Okay. Going through this, these deals. So. Yeah. So it's not like don't don't wait till you get a deal under contract right. to call. Right. Yeah. Right. You're right. Exactly. So you know some people, they are very comfortable with kind of the financing world, and they might not need to call me on every single deal that they see. But you know I have uh, investors who might look at a multifamily deal one day, and then a retail deal the next day, and then you know uh, <laughs> hotel the day after that, and, and these are all different property types. You can't use one, you know, uh, financing terms that I give for one property type for you know the the entire group. So um, depending on the property, the market, etc. So these are all kinds of information that you know I help provide you know clients. So I definitely think if you have a question, you know, don't hesitate to pick up the phone to call. Um, some of that that feedback can be done very very quickly, and just it helps you kind of stick a number into your model. To figure out if you know if this deal is even worthwhile, right? Okay. Um, so what kind of uh, so you mentioned earlier, you get some new investors, and you know you have institutional investors, the whole gamut. Mm -hmm. It's not like you only deal with institutional investors. Right. Somebody should, I mean, obviously, if they buy a single family, they shouldn't call you. But you know, <laughs> um, it, I mean, what kind of size? What's the minimum? Do you have a minimum size you deal with? Uh, no. So like we typically try to stay above a million dollars for the for the smallest loan. Uh, but you know I typically work in deals between one and seven and a half million. I do definitely work on smaller deals that maybe are five hundred to a million dollar range. But um, I typically uh, try not to to work on that too much, just because you know I think a lot of times. Costs end up being a really big aspect for um, owners in this in this space, and you know if you're buying a deal and you need you know a six hundred thousand dollar loan, I the bank is going to charge the you know borrower money, then I'm going to need to charge the borrower money, and you know a lot of times I feel like it doesn't really make sense, so it doesn't stop me from helping provide that information, and a lot of times I'll even help provide a contact <laughs> for you know a bank that can work on That's something right. like this yeah. um, just to help you know propel the relationship because you know I know everyone starts out you know kind of wherever they, they start out right so um, whether you're buying you know a small five unit or you're buying a 50 unit property yeah. I, I, I try to help you know clients out um, to help provide them that feedback you know as throughout their you know investment process and you know, hopefully they will continue to grow and, and build their portfolio. And, and I think a big part of it is building the trust, you know, between us that I can deliver on, you know, what it is that, that yeah, <laughs> I no, promise. So. Perfect. And then, um, you know, uh, when we buy, you know, just single family houses, we call like, you know, two or three banks, four or five banks. But should somebody call two different mortgage brokers? Don't, I mean, isn't that kind of like almost, you guys will reach out to the same banks. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So it, it can be a little counterproductive uh, whenever you are working with multiple mortgage brokers. Um, so it's not bad to work with multiple mortgage brokers. Mm -hmm. We've had situations where we have a client who has relationships with multiple mortgage brokers, and you know, for us, they might be like, okay, CBRE, you focus on getting Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae quotes. 
Whereas this other mortgage broker is going to focus on getting some these CMBS quotes. And we'll ultimately just see where you know things shake out. Um, so it really just kind of depends on the assignment and, and, and who you know the, the client feels comfortable kind of working with. Um, yeah, so just at least be upfront with your goal. Right, right? exactly, exactly. So, I, I, yeah, I think the toughest part is whenever we move in and start working on an assignment but don't know all the, the details or what's going on or you know who else you're talking to um, because it's more frustrating whenever you know we find out that there's been duplicative efforts you know talking to the same people and, and it makes you know us look bad and makes you know the client look bad that they haven't been kind of forthright with you know different information um, so I, I always try to tell clients, be as honest as you can with me, and I'll be as honest as I can with you about you know everything it, it, that's going on, because um, I think it, it ends up being a better work you know situation that there's no one that's you know kind of had the the veils pulled over their eyes right. type things. So. No, it's I mean with anybody you know, with the property management with the you should be just you know provide the right. information up front and then be <laughs> transparent because right. that's gonna ultimately you don't want something to pop up in the last minute and people find out right you had a past claim and insurance or right no you know so that, that's that's honestly a big part of where <laughs> i run into issues on deals um where an owner you know they might have had a past issue 10 15 20 years ago even and they don't think it's a big deal to bring up um so they don't mention it but you know with any of our lenders they do background searches credit searches if something were to happen where you gave back a property even if it was 25 years ago, the lender is going to find out about it. There might be a perfectly good explanation for why that happened or why you didn't disclose it, but it breaks a little bit of a trust with that lender because they start wondering, it's like, well, you didn't tell me about this situation. What else haven't you told me about? You know, and, and that's kind of the thing that we try to work with with our clients is like, if you can tell me everything that is of a concern, I can filter through that and try to determine what is most important? You know, yeah. what is something that's material that a lender is going to care about? Yeah. What's not? So, you know, again, I work with you know these groups regularly, and I know kind of what the hot button issues are. So, yeah. I would rather a client be forthright with me, tell me everything, rather than us finding out about this later on with the lender and me looking clueless as far as I had no idea this right. this, this happened. Yeah. Let me go get more information for you. Yeah. you know? and it's not yourself. I mean, if if, if, uh, if somebody you have partners in the deal or you, you bring a, a guarantor on the deal, um, just make sure you know who you're dealing with. Right, right. It's people that. Not only you think you might know them, but you know. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think that that's also a thing. Is, you know, know, know who you're working with, partners-wise, etc. Because um, all that stuff can create an issue later on with financing and you know that kind of thing. So it's better for you to set the table, you know, initially, so that we know what we're playing with. We can let the lenders know that this is what's going on. It wastes less people's time that way, you know, yeah. for uh, knowing kind of what <laughs> what it is that we're, we're dealing with, with with these bars. So great. No, this is very a lot of helpful information. Um, so we're gonna move into a, a case study okay. segment. Um, can you recall a deal they recently done? Uh, how big is it? How what kind of financing you guys used? Was it a syndication or institutional buyer? Um, anything and maybe how you kind of overcome maybe a potential hurdle or things like that that help the borrower? Yeah, 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 sure. So, you know, l let me think. 
We've worked on several deals. So like more recently, I actually have a deal kind of under under application right now. Um, part of the issue with the transaction is limited information from uh, the seller, historical, um, financials. historical yeah. financials, that kind of a thing. So you know, part of what we had to work on with the bar, uh, it wasn't that this property wasn't financeable, right? Mm-hmm. It's just more the fact that we need to prevent or pre- present digestible information mm-hmm. for a lender to be able to understand what's going on with the property. Um, so essentially, you know, we went through and pulled rent rolls for you know kind of the past 12 months to look at mm-hmm. and then built in essentially kind of uh, an operating statement based off mm-hmm. of taxes, their insurance bill, um, pulled all their utility bills. All this information is made available once you know someone goes under contract uh, on a deal, but they just didn't have this in an Excel format or you know some sort of PDF format that you know a lender uh, could work with. So you know my job is to kind of go through the initial information, see what's there, figure out what we need to make the deal work, and then answer you know the lender's questions kind of you know historically. So it's just like you know there might be the seller put in you know X dollars in cap capital improvements in the property. So it's just like, you know, the lender wants to understand, you know, okay, you put in a hundred thousand dollars and how does how is this broken up? You know, where did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? So right. those are the kinds of things that we help, you know, explore and present. Um, you know, things like uh in, if it's like a cash out refinance, um a lender is going to want to understand uh where the rents were historically to where they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of lenders um, on refinances, they're going to limit um, bars to uh, loan to cost after only two years of ownership, whereas after two years, um, they would look at the deal more from a LTV standpoint. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you bought the year, the, your deal two years ago, and you haven't really raised rents very much, you know, but there's been cap rate compression uh, a lender's not going to look that favorably on that versus, you know, if I can show you them, okay, when they bought this property two years ago, occupancy was at 80% and rents were at 500 a door. Now they're at 95% occupancy where, you know, rents are, you know, 800 a door or 900 a door, you know, so it's like they clearly put money into the deal. They've increased, you know, occupancy. They've increased uh, the operational stuff. Um, they've improved all these different areas. So that's really kind of how you sell deals to different lenders. So, you know, at the end of the day, my goal is to be able to provide my clients with a multitude of financing options. Yeah. So. I want to show these lenders the deal in the best possible light as possible with all the information that they would potentially need. So, you know, again, it's just whenever a client has kind of a rough deal or, you know, things that, you know, aren't quite put together, um, it's not that the deal is not financeable. It's just someone needs to put the time and effort into making the information, you know, readable, digestible, that kind of a thing, and and knowing kind of what the targets are for for the the lender. So, you know, most of the times lenders have, you know, some sort of a box, and if you're aware of where that box lies, you can kind of help, you know, formulate and, you know, present the deal in a a way where, you know, it's very uh, attractive to them in in, in that format, you know? So uh, I think that that's honestly what I help, you know, owners and and, uh, investors do with their deals is just make it a little bit more marketable to be able to find best best debt options for them.
I guess it, it, you kind of run across that a lot uh, when the mom and pop sellers, yeah. right? They, right. They kind of put receipts in a box. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if we're lucky, we get QuickBooks. But, you know, even the other day, I got a rent roll where it's just written on the back of a sheet of paper. You know, this yeah. is the property that I want to buy. It's 11 duplexes. It's like, what financing can you do on this? So, you know, it involves me going back, looking up all the taxes for these, yeah. figuring out what insurance for it, you know, expenses you know would be reasonable for something like this yeah so you know I work with whatever you can provide me but you know ultimately you know with me and my clients it's like I give them a list of very clear this is what we are ultimately going to need to pro provide yeah. if there's something that you see on this list that you think is going to be a problem let's talk about it now and figure out a solution for this so that you know we can we can you know get this deal fine fine yeah. so um, it's a lot of that <laughs> yeah it's like can I get three years of tax return? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, uh, it again, like you know, if if that's something that you're unable to provide, like I'd rather know that upfront so that you know, talking to lenders, this guy doesn't have you know good tax returns or you know he he you know runs his own business, so you know you're not going to really see any kind of income from from these. But you know, if you look at his bank accounts, et cetera, it's like this guy clearly has money. He owns a bunch of you know real estate. They're all performing fine. Da da da. So it's just knowing kind of what it is to get uh, lenders comfortable with you know deals um, is really kind of my bridge in this transaction. Because yeah. everybody's under time pressure too. Yeah. You're under time pressure to close. Uh, you know, you have financing contingencies right. and that you need to meet. If you, right, yeah. I know. So, you know, that's again another thing why I typically like talking to people before they would go under contract. Yeah. It's just because all this stuff, it's part of the negotiation, right? So, like, if you need a financing contingency, you know, you need to know kind of where rates are, <laughs> what yeah. kind of, uh, you know, loan you can get, how long that's going to take to, you know. So, you need to put all that in, in the contract because if you aren't aware of that, you can end up, you know, losing your hard money deposit, that type of thing. Yeah. Seller, so, sellers, for the most part, I think they want their transactions to occur. So I think there's some flexibility. But at the end of the day, they have no responsibility to give you extra time, you know, if right. things take longer than, than expected. So it's really important for you as an investor owner to know kind of the landscape of, you know, this purchase contract and how quickly I can get a deal closed. That's right. Yeah, no, just to bring up, again, we do get get started early, yeah. don't wait till the last minute, and right. uh, if you know the deal is going to be tough, you, you don't have good financials, right. be up front and right. try to work as, you know, get the, you know, projections or right. try to get, you know, recast the right. historical as much as you can. Right, exactly, exactly, and that's something that, you know, I work with clients all the time with, so again, you know, just... Yeah. Reach out, talk to a uh, knowledgeable person, you know, if you run into situations like this. There's always a solution, honestly, with, with these types of things. I've seen deals with no leases. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen all kinds of yeah. things. So it's just, if you don't have leases, what can you provide you know, right? in lieu of this to get a lender comfortable? So there's a variety of things and, you know, leverage points, et cetera. All this is important, uh, ultimately, with your deal. So. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> That's, that's that's something definitely to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, I know. You know. I, I don't want to take up all your time, but let's move to the next segment. So you have a lot on your plate. You have. I don't know how many deals you have mm -hmm. going on. Uh, things are always putting out fires. Yeah. How do you manage your time from day to day? Do you do you just you know everything's on the computer on a task list? You use Outlook or? Yeah. Yeah. So you know a lot of it is kind of based off of tax. Uh, my my Outlook, but. You know, part of my day 
it's kind of there's business development and then there's processing of loans, right? I need to put time into both uh, aspects of, of deals. So to be honest with you, it kind of depends on the how big the fire is. Yeah. You know, if I have a uh, investor who calls me on a Friday and says, I need information on this because the seller needs me to sign this contract by Sunday, mm -hmm. I'm trying, I'm focused on his deal immediately to try to get him some feedback. Whereas the loan processing side, you know, there's people who need to review this type of things. And although it's important, you know, to, to work on that aspect of the deal because, you know, you're not going to be able to close unless you're, you're focused on that. You know, it's sometimes that's not as time sensitive mm -hmm. um, as the, you know, business development side. Yeah. But on the flip side, if a deal is about to close and an issue comes up at the last second, I'm not picking up a call for my business development, you know, because I'm trying to help solve a client's, you know, issue that came up at the, at the last minute. So um, I would say my day-to-day -day job is very unpredictable. Mm. Um, you know, I can get called on, it's like, hey, I'm looking at a property here, can you come swing by and, and take a look with me yeah. uh, to get an idea? So, you know, I have a basic schedule in place, but it's, life doesn't always go according to schedule. So um, it makes it makes my job fun, but it also <laughs> can make you know me feel like I'm getting pulled in a lot of different directions. But it's it's all it's all good and fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want, on one hand, you're you know variety of spice of life. Right. You know, you're you get a lot of different flavor, different asset classes, different right. challenges. Right. On, on the other hand. You know, you have you have ten balls in right. there. Right. No, you know, but you know, I think that that's what what makes things exciting for yeah. me personally because you know, with all of these clients, like I I really see them more as friends than as clients because like I'm seeing it as how can I help you generate the most out of your you know return your you know investment that kind of thing. So I want you to be successful. I'm trying to figure out you know as many different ways to help propel you in that direction. So I really see this as kind of a, a friend type friend, you know, relationship. I'm helping someone out, you know, that, you know, I know and I, you know, I, I meet them, I, you know, build that kind of relationship. Like I know what you're about, what your goals yeah. are, why you're investing in, in the property. So, you know, it's much more relationship based, you know, whenever I, I talk to people. So I feel like that's what really drives me yeah. in my day to day kind of work. You know, although it's chaotic, I feel like what I'm helping, you know, and, and you know, producing at the end of the day is something that I can see, you know, it's something tangible that, you know, I help people kind of acquire, you know, usually yeah. their dreams, right? It's yeah. something that they've kind of focused on and worked at for, for many, many years. Yeah. So. And even though it's a transactional business, but, and one, it's a, it's a small world. I mean, mm -hmm. you think, you know, this, uh, you know, Houston has so many millions of square foot of right. different properties, but you know, the bankers, the appraisers, they kind of all know each other, right? right? I mean, you do one deal and do the next deal, you hope to... Uh, yes, you, we're helping you with one time, but really, we're, we're trying to help you build, right, your, build right, your portfolio. Right, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. It, it's an ongoing type thing. So, you know, the, the relationship might start off with that first deal, but, you know, we're hoping that it, it grows further and further and, you know, help you out as, you know, an investor or owner to become more knowledgeable. So Perfect. We're digressing. That's okay. <laughs> um, what, do you have any morning routine? Do you have any 
diet exercise. <laughs> well, uh, I would say my wife would want me to diet and exercise a little bit more, but uh, in the morning, generally, it's, uh, it's a little bit hectic at the house. Most of my exercise um, comes in after work. Uh, it's a good stress reliever, I feel like, just you know, being able to get a sweat going. And I really enjoy playing basketball and working out and running and biking, doing all kinds of things. So uh, most of my exercise activity comes uh, later on in the day, whereas my morning is really kind of, the first thing I think about is, you know, what I have on my plate today, you know, <laughs> that kind of a thing. Yeah, no time for meditation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, now it's a perfect time to, in Houston to do the stuff outdoors. Yeah, I know, we only have a few few months out of the year where it, it's nice outdoors, um, but this is definitely this is definitely the time, so. Perfect. Um, so one piece of advice for maybe a new investor who's looking to do his first deal, um, you know, there's so many things you know, he needs to do. What's one piece of advice you tell him to you know, kind of focus on if he's trying to do their first deal? Yeah, you know, I, I think that your very first deal, I think you should think about what your goals for this property ultimately are. Um, is this going to be just kind of a coupon clipper type thing where you're going to get a few, you know, some cash flow um, to help, you know, just regular, uh, you know, day-to-day -day life? Or is this kind of something that you're looking to, you know, potentially grow, uh, put money into, that kind of a thing? Um, I think that that's really what people need to figure out um, in terms of their investment. Because, you know, like I said, with multifamily properties um, versus some other property types, uh, if you're owning, uh, you know, one multifamily property, I would think that ideally you would ultimately try to run that property yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so your day-to-day -day life, you know, a lot of people have a day job where owning a multifamily property would end up taking up more of their time. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, if your end-of-the-day investment goals is not that, then I would recommend you not focus on something that's so, you know, sweat equity driven, like multifamily, you know, find something that is a little bit easier, you know, for you to, to generate an income for you need to put in less work, um, you know, like a retail, like a sing single tenant, you know, uh, triple net retail type deal. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it would require a lot less, you know, brain damage for you. So, you know, I know that multifamily is kind of the hot thing out there and people are kind of all over it. Um, but sometimes I, I don't know if people going into it realize kind of the amount of work that would a you know require to run the property and then b kind of what you're getting back in terms of the amount of work that you're putting into yeah. that into the deal so um yeah i think just to have a, a good idea of what you want your investment to ultimately provide you is probably a really good first step um, and then get knowledgeable <laughs> yeah, no absolutely and uh i mean it's okay to um you know do, go into multifamily if your goal maybe you maybe not first project you're not mm -hmm. you're not getting you know, PM but if your goal is really five ten years you want to own a couple thousand years right. uh, but knowing that your first five years you had do had to put in the work and just you know have that recognized right you know, not only had to do your work but also you know after work you had to put in another forty hours right no absolutely it, it it can be very difficult I think for first time owners trying to get into it so you know. Buying the right size property is also kind of the, a big question. You know, if you're overwhelmed with you know a hundred unit property being your first first deal, I think that that could be really really difficult if you also yeah. had a day job. So, <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Yeah, not a something you just want to 
get into right, it without doing right. diligence. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, now we're going to our fun segment. Okay. You ready? Perfect. Okay. What's your, uh, you mentioned you play basketball and you like to do things out. Any other hobbies? Uh, um, so, me and my wife, we really love to travel. Um, we were in Taiwan earlier uh, this year. We've been to Italy. 2019. Yeah, you know, 2020. 2020. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. we went to Taiwan in 2020. Uh, uh, we spent a month in Italy. We spent a month in uh, uh, Korea and Japan. Um, we just like going kind of all over, just, you know, kind of being introduced to a new culture and kind of living there for a little bit, kind of getting used to it and learning, you know, new foods. That, that's kind of what we really enjoy um, doing <laughs> yeah. whenever we can, right? Nice. So, Foodies. <laughs> um, what's a, what's a, a favorite place uh, that you go back to? Oh, so we've actually talked about, uh, so I love so many of the places that we've gone to, but uh, Italy is one of, is a really beautiful place. Um, so there's a island out there called Sardinia. Um, that was probably one of the best places that I've been. Um, and then another place I've been personally is um, New Zealand. Uh, I think New Zealand is one of the most unique places on earth. Um, it's in the middle of the ocean, but you know, in these two small small islands, you see like the topography of all of Europe. So you know, you see fjords, glaciers. You know, there's mountains. There's um, you know, islands. All kinds yeah. of things. So there's all kinds of cult, uh, climates and topography out there. So it's really interesting. You know, you drive for an hour, and then all of a sudden you feel yeah. like you're in somewhere completely different. So um, definitely somewhere I would recommend people going if they have the time and, and capacity yeah no. <laughs> I mean that's the beauty of I mean you're in a small area but you can see so yeah, much different right, things right right in, in that where they filmed uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings. that's yeah. right that's right that's a, right yeah like, that's one of the places I went out to uh, you can go out and visit the Hobbit uh, yeah. whenever where you know uh, or the Shire where the Hobbits live right. so <laughs> it's, cool. uh, it's, it's very cool to kind of see all that in, in, in yeah. person so yeah kind of like <laughs> people go to Hawaii and do the Lost Tour yeah exactly exactly <laughs> Gotta see it. Uh, that's um, right. Favorite book or movie that you recently read or seen? Um, so I've I'm a huge movie buff, so I've actually seen a lot of the new Academy Award, you know, nominated uh, Best Picture movies. So, you know, of that, I definitely think I really enjoyed watching Parasite. Oh, really? um, it was a very unique movie that I can't really compare to anything else that I've seen. Um, I tell people whenever they ask me, it's like, what about it is so great? It's, I feel like whenever I watched it, I went through the gamut of emotions where you know it made me laugh, it made me think, it made me scared, it made me cry, you know, all, that, all kinds of things. So I think when a movie is able to elicit, you know, this much emotion or, you know, feeling from the viewer, it's, it's a good movie. So it's just, it was something very unique that I hadn't seen before. So it's great seeing kind of, you know, a South Korean movie win Best Picture for the Academy Awards. So, you know, it's good, I think, for, <laughs> for the movie industry as a whole that, you know, there's good movies being made, you know, all all across the world. Yeah. So it's good that they recognize the movie for itself and not, you know, just you know, compare just other foreign. Films yeah, right, like right. I know, it's, it's I know. Kind it, of barrier breakers. So I know. It's, it's a good. It's a good step, I think. And for, they said uh, he made another one before that. That was even 
just as good, like Snowpiercer. Or oh yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That so. that guy, he's made a, a few a few movies, but I think yeah. he's typically kind of a horror movie type, oh, yeah. you know, uh, director. So I, you know, it's good. He he made something kind of a little bit different. So nice. <laughs> yeah, check it out. Uh, favorite Houston restaurant. Oh man, so me and my right. wife, we typically like going to eat in like Chinatown. So there's a lot of good Asian restaurants there. Um, but we also like, you know, going uh, to eat at some of the restaurants here in Midtown, etc. So, you know, one of the things that we really enjoy eating is crawfish. So we go to a place called Crawfish Cafe, which is over uh, off of Bel Air um, in the Hong Kong Mall. Um, they have great, you know, seafood and, and crawfish, uh, especially if that's, you know, what, what you're into. Um, yeah. It's very, very good and tasty and, you know, for a relatively good, good, reasonable price. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's one that it's an indoor area. Inside, right? yeah, it's okay. inside the, okay. it's inside that, that mall. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, that. And they also have the uh, a night uh, on weekend nights. They have special events now. Like oh, really? On Facebook. Um, I don't know. Some like they open like Friday, Saturday nights. They outdoor. They have outdoor kiosks. Uh, okay. Behind the that area, so. You know, I gotta check that out now. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Next question. Favorite Houston neighborhood. I know you do a lot. <laughs> seen a lot of deals. Uh, to live or or to invest in anything. Uh, so like personally, like I, I I'm living in kind of the uh, Heights Memorial area. Uh, I think that you know I, I love inside the loop, but Houston's actually becoming a, such an interesting market in the fact that we have all these good pockets. You know, not just inside the loop. You know, I think City Center is another really good pocket with you know, good jobs, uh, you know, available in that area. Um, they've built a lot of new retail restaurants. Um, you know, I go out to City Center every once in a while and I see on a Thursday night, you know, that little pavilion area is packed with families and kids. Man. Yeah, and there's music there. Yeah. It's just, you know, they've really created these types of, you know, small, you know, mixed-use retail areas yeah, yeah. all throughout Houston and Katy and Sugarland and Pearland, Woodland, you know, and Clinton, yeah. Woodlands, yeah. Kingwood, um, to the point where, you know, I think a lot of times when people live in the suburbs now, uh, they don't need to go into the into the city to have a great meal, you know, yeah. because all the restaurants that are, you know, inside the city are also out in the suburbs now yeah, a lot yeah. of times. Sometimes people, I find myself and my wife actually driving out to Katy to yeah. eat in their, their Chinatown because, you know, they have uh, different, you know, variety options. So, you know, I just, I think that the city as a whole, they've built a lot of very, very livable, you know, residential pockets, you know, good growth areas. And even, you know, along 290, you're seeing people build way out in Fairfield, you know, way out um, past Katy. It's just more and more people and they're starting to spread out. Um, so you see a lot of new retail in those areas and kind of entertainment options as well. So, you know, I think Houston as a whole, they've done a, a great job in kind of providing a live work you know entertainment you know kind of combination in a lot of these different areas so um i always encourage people if they live in other cities uh you know to look at houston we have a low cost of living yeah. you know uh, i lived in new york a few years back and you know it's interesting uh talking to people and kind of like their lifestyle you know they commute to work take them you know two hours they have to get on a, a train a bus and another train to get into the office and then you know you talk about where they're living and it's like oh you know 
my whole extended family are living in this, you know, one house yeah. of, you know, three, three bedrooms and yeah. we're splitting it, but that's because this is all that we can afford, you know, in terms of, and it's just like, if you were to move to Texas, you know, your whole family could have, you know, each of their own houses probably yeah. here. Um, so it's just like, again, I think Texas and Houston, land is plentiful and, and that's one of the good things about moving here is your cost of living uh, is a lot lower where you can feel, you know, better about kind of, you know, your quality of life here. Yeah. So, you know, it's a very attractive area, I think, for, for oh, people yeah. to move We to. can do a whole new podcast, <laughs> a whole different podcast on like new developments right. and uh, <laughs> you know, new areas. and. Talk about Uber, the effects of Uber, the effects of food right. delivery. That's, right, that's I know, I know. It's, it's great. It's yeah. it's such a it's such a good city. It's a, I like to say that Houston is a big city, but it doesn't always have that big city feel. You know, there's still kind of that small city kind of yeah. you know interactions with people and like you know areas that that, that kind of thing. So um, I, again, I I grew up in Houston, moved away for a little bit, but you know came back because. Nice. I, I realize I, that I don't think that there's a really a better place to live. <laughs> I'm here. Um, so you go to a lot of networking events. You know, yeah. CBRE has networking events, a lot of different uh, associations. Mm -hmm. um, we have meetups and stuff. Uh, for a new investor, you know, what's a good what's a good event that you like to go to and you know meet people and you know, be introduced to other brokers. And, Right. Uh, so it, it really depends on uh, what it is, like who you are, right? So if your goal is to meet um, other owners, investors, you know, I think joining, you know, like the Landlord Association, there's other associations, Houston Apartment uh, Owners Association, uh, there's a lot of good um, platforms like that for you to join. Um, on the other side, uh, where in terms like you want to meet people, uh, in the industry, you know, potential mortgage brokers, property managers, title companies. Um, so Riverway Title, they actually put on a great event every year. It's a poker tournament. Um, I think that it usually occurs in April. Um, they have it uh, inside the loop uh, over at Cadillac uh, Barn Grill. They've done this for years. But, you know, it's a very relaxed atmosphere. There's people who go there that don't even play poker. They're just there to kind of network. But, you know, you sit down at a table, with you know 10 other people yeah. it's a great way of just sitting down it's like oh what do you do da, da, da. you know you essentially you make 10 new contacts there you know if they're bad at poker then so they leave and then a new person <laughs> comes in right so you meet someone new so yeah. uh it's a continuous kind of thing so i think that that event is actually really great uh for new owners investors um that that they can kind of join uh all you would need to do is pay you know for the entrance fee for the poker tournament or you know even if you don't want to do that i think it's half price um to just come and get you know two drink oh. tickets and then you know kind of oh. enjoy the the night etc so yeah. um i think that that's probably one of the the better events that i think is very casual that you can you know kind of meet people and you know get to know what what they do so that's right yeah, I think uh, I mean that's great. A couple hundred bucks is totally worth it to me. You mm -hmm. know, just get one deal, or <laughs> get one contact. It's, right, it's, it's a small price to pay, um, and um, you know, like you said, it depends on what you want to people you want to meet. I mean, there's probably meetups in every different right. category. You know, developers. Uh, Right, you know, single family, multi-family. <laughs> right, no, there, there's yeah. definitely a bunch of conferences or you know, kind of uh, lunch and learns that yeah. type of things. But you know, some of them are more focused towards single family, multi-family office, retail, and then you know, there's even uh, uh, I 
think there's like an Indo-American, you know, real estate, you know, owners association. There's all yeah. types of, you know, associations. So yeah. if you are part of, you know, a community like this, yeah. it's just, you know, kind of digging in and trying to find out, you know, what events that they put on. And a lot of them, they have kind of regular meetups or meetings or events that, you know, you can help, you know, learn whatever uh, about the industry or, and what's going on in the market. Yeah. So go out there and uh, <laughs> network. Yeah. All right. All right. Last question. Sure. How do people find out more about you? Um, so, you know, via this podcast, but uh, I can also provide you uh, my bio on our CBRE website. Um, it has my contact information and kind of my history um, in the industry. And, you know, just feel free to use that and, you know, reach out to me via email, um, LinkedIn. Um, I'm on a lot of different social media platforms. So, um, you know, don't hesitate to, to reach out. I'm sure if you just Googled my name, <laughs> you'll be able to find Sam Yee at CBRE. So. That's how I found you. Because <laughs> yeah. I missed you at the network, after the network. Oh, event, okay. I was like, where do you go? And then I, just, I, I just Google your name. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, perfect. So we'll include your contact information in the show notes and uh, hopefully we can reach out to you that questions. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm here, I'm here to help. Great. Thank Great. you so Thanks much, Thanks a lot, Sam. George.